Welcome to week two of our Gospel-Centered Home series. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians 5. We'll get there. We'll get there. I just got to lay some road before we get to Ephesians 5 this morning. Um, again, we're not alone in this journey. We've joined uh, over 40 other churches right here in Jeffco that um, for the month of February, we're focusing on marriage and, and family. Uh, last week, we focused on God's plan for marriage. And the reason why we focused on God's plan rather than my plan or your plan is because marriage is God planned, right? Uh, marriage is God's idea. Everybody has an idea of what marriage should look like, but uh, God didn't just give an idea or give a version of marriage. The truth is without God, there is not marriage. There is no marriage. He is the creator of marriage. He is the designer of marriage. And so from the very beginning, I, I don't know if Jeff can keep up with all this because the purpose is not to get bogged down here because this is just a review from last week. You can go back and watch it. But in, in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, verse 27, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so we have this very first couple, this, this creation of Adam and Eve. And, and then in chapter 2, he goes into greater detail about the creation and really even gives us this first record of marriage in, in chapter 2 verse 7 it says God formed man from the dust he breathed life into this man and, and the man became a living person that was Adam in verse 15 Adam was placed in the garden to tend and watch over it including one of his jobs was naming all the animals we talked about how cool that would have been I'm sure none of us would have come up with hippopotamus right in verse 20 Adam as he's naming these animals noticing that there is a likeness that the cow has to be in partnership with another cow, and a cat has a cat, and, and Adam's looking around, he's noticing there's no one for him. And then in verse 18, God determined it wasn't good for God to be alone. Okay, that's verse 18. It is not good for, God, for man to be alone. I didn't say that. God said that. We'll come back to that. And so he would make a helper for Adam. Verse 21, he causes Adam to fall asleep. He takes a rib from Adam. He forms this woman. Her name is going to be Eve. He wakes up Adam. He presents Eve to Adam. In verse 23, we get this translation of, whoa, right? Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And in verse 24, it says this, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in one. So God's plan for marriage from the very beginning has been one God, one man, one woman in holy covenant in which the husband and wife leave all other human relationships. They join or they cleave together like glue and they become one flesh. See, God is very specific of the roles in marriage. One man, one woman, it is First recorded here in Genesis 1 and 2. It is repeated in Matthew 19 by Jesus. It is repeated in Ephesians 5 by the Apostle Paul. But it gets even more specific than just husband and wife. And this is where we kind of honed in last Sunday. Marriage is not just between a husband and wife. Marriage was designed to be a holy covenant between God and two worshipers of God. New Testament term would be followers or disciples of Jesus. So the picture of marriage is one God and two disciples becoming one flesh. A son of God and a daughter of God becoming one. A male servant of Jesus and a female servant of Jesus becoming one flesh. A male spirit-filled witness of Jesus and a female spirit-filled witness of Jesus 
becoming one. That was, that is, and will continue to be forever God's specific plan of marriage. Now, the big idea for today is not the plan, but the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage. The, the why, if you will. Here's the plan. One God, one man, one woman, forever, leaving, cleaving, and becoming one. But why? Why? And the truth is, there's many reasons why. We could do a whole series on just the whys. Right? But let me give you two reasons really quickly. Number one, marriage has the purpose of combating human loneliness. Marriage has the purpose of combating human loneliness, which is a pretty debatable statement because there are a lot of married people who are as lonely as ever. And even though you have a spouse, you feel very isolated and alone. Marriage is not always the solution to this. We cannot make blanket statements about marriage without concluding that marriage has been affected by the curse of sin just like everything else in the world. Yes, in the very beginning, God declared it all very good, including the relationship between Adam and Eve. Yes, I believe in chapters 1 and 2, we see a perfect picture of God's plan of marriage. But when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in Genesis 3, not only was their relationship with God severed, I believe, or we can at least, I think, conclude this. Just read the rest of Adam and Eve's story. I think we can conclude that their relationship with one another was also broken. Can I show you that from Scripture? Last week we read this verse and we didn't spend any time on it. He just said, he just said listen, the, purpose, the plan of marriage is, is to leave, cleave, and become one, or leave. And, yeah. and here's what he says in the very next verse. Now the man and his wife were both what? I want you to say it because you guys make fun of the way I say it coming from southeast Missouri, right? I, I do a slang or something. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no what? That's Genesis 2. Then we get sin in Genesis 3. Look at verses 7 through 12 in Genesis 3. At the moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their... So immediately upon sinning, they start looking for things to cover themselves up. You see, I believe that verse in chapter 2 is a beautiful picture of nothing to hide between one another. There is perfect intimacy. There is perfect fellowship. There is no shame. There is nothing to hide. We're all in. And all of a sudden, there's sin, and we're all out. Now there's shame. Now there's covering up. Verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they ran to him like they always did, right? Verse 9. No. They hid. And then God says, where are you? We could go into a whole thing about that, but we ain't got time. We've got a lot to cover today. They are hiding from God. Where are you? Verse 10. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And listen to how God replies in verse 11, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Have you rebelled? Have you disobeyed the command that I gave you? Verse 12, and then we'll move on. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. And we can follow that out. She blames the snake, right? But, I mean, perfect marriage in chapter 2, sin in chapter 3, 
and immediately there's shame and there's covering and there's hiding and there's blaming. (laughs) And we know all so well about shame and hiding and blaming. Everything was very good and then everything became very broken and sin was and still is the reason for that broken. There's others that are on that side of the debate that would say, well, um, God alone is sufficient for Adam's loneliness. That's the really super spiritual people, right? And we can't argue with that. That's true, right? God's, God is sufficient, but, but it doesn't change the fact that Adam noticed something was off in chapter 2, verse 20. It doesn't change the fact that in verse 18, God himself said, it is not good for man to be alone. Listen, God was in the garden with Adam. And so we've got to assume that God and Adam was reacting to the nature of human relationships. There was, there was something that Adam felt was missing. And God filled that. Marriage not only has the purpose of combating human loneliness, marriage has the purpose of combating sexual immorality. Okay? I, again, this is not really a point in my sermon, but I do want you to understand that this text is there. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. Regarding the questions you ask in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. I wouldn't argue with Apostle Paul very often, but anyway, that's probably one of them we'd, we'd hammer it out on. Verse 3. But, okay, the, the human, uh, I'm sorry, go back. Was we done with verse 2? Oh, verse, yeah, I didn't read verse 2. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband, verse 3. The husband should fulfill the wife's needs and the wife should fulfill the husband's needs, verse 4. The wife gives authority over her body to the husband and the husband gives authority over his body to the wife. What a beautiful picture of marriage. Last verse, verse 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourself more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that, why? So Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We at least have to understand that marriage is one of the gifts that God's given us to combat against sexual immorality. Now, we all in this room know it's not a solution to sexual morality. It's not like lust and all that goes away the moment you say, I do, right? No. So we could certainly continue with many other reasons for marriage, but what I want to do for the remainder of our time together today is I just want to talk about the reason for marriage. What is the, I think, the main purpose? Okay, we can argue about this. Buy me coffee. We'll talk it out. Okay, this ain't a hill I'm going to die on. But I think this is the main purpose for marriage. It's, it's really our big idea for today. It's four words that I hope that will stay with you. Here it is. Marriage is a mirror. I think that's the purpose of marriage. Marriage is a mirror. Marriage is a earthly reflection of a heavenly relationship. The relationship between a husband and his wife have the purpose of reflecting the glory of God and the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Last week we said that every Bible verse becomes a marriage verse when two disciples of Jesus become one with their heavenly father. Can we look at some scriptures today? Just real quick. 
uh, about God's glory in the context of marriage. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. It says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world, marriage, everything. Why did you add marriage? Because everything, marriage fits under there. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus, including your marriage. Your union to your spouse is through Jesus and for Jesus. Look at Colossians 3. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Do you see yourself as a representative of Jesus to your spouse? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do includes your marriage for God's glory. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. God is using you to make his to your spouse. Now we can land in Ephesians 5 for the morning. And I want to start, we're going to be at the end of Ephesians 5, but I, we can't ignore verse 1. I love Ephesians 5, 1. It's part of the why we do what we do around here, right? Imitate God, therefore. In everything you do, and, and just in case you're confused, that's still, marriage falls underneath everything you do. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. And then it's here in this Ephesians 5, under the subtitle, in my Bible anyway, here's what it says. This is the spirit-guided relationship between husband and wife. And we again see very specific instructions on our gender-specific roles within the walls of marriage. Can we just kind of read it together, verse, starting at verse 21? We'll walk it together. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's just roll through these verses. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows his love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. A few more verses. And we are members of his body as the scriptures say a man leaves his father and mother is joined to his wife and the two are united into one this is a great mystery it's a good definition for marriage isn't it this is a great ministry but it is an illustration of the way christ and the church are one last verse so again i say each man must love his wife 
as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Two quick observations about this text, and then we're going to drill, drill down into just one thought. Uh, number one, there are specific instructions here for both the wives and the husbands. And today, for the remainder of our time, I want to talk to the husbands. And I see that we have a lot of husbands out today. So wives, make sure your husbands go back and watch this. This is for the men of Journey. Now, next week is for the women. All right? So make sure, ladies, you don't stay home like your husbands did or whatever the excuse is. All right? Men, you make sure next week you get your wives here. Uh, but anyway, today we're going to focus on the husbands. Here's the second observation. There are rules to the game of marriage. There's rules. Here in our text, Peter, or I'm sorry, Paul gets to, uh, before he gets to the, for the wives this means, and before he gets to the, for the husbands this means, he sets the ground rules, and he does so in verse 21. Can we look at that again, Jeff? He starts this text by saying, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This idea of mutual submission, submitting to one another looks like each of us clothing ourselves in humility as we relate to one another. Peter, in 1 Peter, he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, where he says, God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Church, our marriages need much grace. We need much grace. So may we become together. So may we come together with humility and mutual submission. Paul goes on to say, submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. This has some gospel rule. Do as Jesus has done for you. Feel to it or sound to it, doesn't it? Our motives in marriage are to be gospel-centered, not self-centered. Our motives are to be heaven-focused, not human-focused. Our why, look at me, our why is always Jesus. Our why is always Jesus. So in addressing the husbands, Paul starts in verse 25, so let's look at it again really quickly. In verse 25, he says, for husbands, here's what this means for you. You love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And then he shares just how much Christ is willing to love the church at the end of verse 25. He gave up his life for her. And then he goes on to say, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Let's continue. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. There's more there, but I'm going to, I just want us to go back to verse 25 and look at verse 25 together. And we are to love our wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church. So what does it look like to love your wife? as Christ loved the church. In fact, I put it on the screen this way. What does it look like for you to love your wife as Christ loves you? That's the command here, to love your wife as Christ loves you. The first thing we're gonna notice in this text is that it is a sacrificial love, right? Christ-like love is costly, the giving up of your life for your wife is an option on the table. But the 
truth is, most of us, if not all of us, will never be asked by God to give up our physical lives for our spouses. He'll call us to something much harder, and that is to live sacrificially every single day before our wives. We will have to deny ourselves to serve our wives. We will have to put their interest above our interest. We will have to give to our wives without expecting to get anything in return. Because sometimes our wives will take our love for granted. Sometimes our wives will ignore our love. Or God forbid, sometimes our wives will abuse our love. Sometimes men don't amen this. Sometimes men, our wives don't deserve our love. But that's the point of sacrificial love. Sacrificial love loves at all times. That's how Jesus has loved you. Romans 5 8. Remember that verse? But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when? When we were at our worst, in our greatest weakness, our sin, God loved us through his son, Jesus. So here's a question. What does your wife need you to sacrifice for her? If death is on the table, is there anything off the table? Is there anything you are currently sacrificing for your wife? Rejoice then, because in a way you're reflecting how Christ loved the church. And is there anything you are unwilling to sacrifice for your wife? Repent then, because you are sinning against God and your wife. One of the ways we display the gospel through our marriage is by loving our wives selflessly and sacrificially. That kind of love manifests itself in all kinds of ways. I'm sure there's books written on it. There's songs I'm sure you can listen to about it today. Again, for just a short few minutes we have left, I want us to focus on three of those, okay? I want us to look at three manifestations of sacrificial love. Can we do that? Here's number one. Sacrificial love looks like patience. Men, husbands, can I ask you a question? Has God patiently loved you is god patiently loving you right now first corinthians 13 4 says love is patient we also know from galatians that patience is a fruit of the spirit of god that lives in us listen we can't ignore this characteristic we can't ignore this this manifestation this trait that should be reflecting in and through us Sacrificial love looks like patience. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, let's look at these verses together. Since God chose you to be a holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive Anyone who offends you, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You see, patience is long-suffering, and patience is gracious. 
Men, if we are going to love our wives as Christ loved us, we must forgive their shortcomings. We must forgive their rebellious actions. We must forgive their rebellious attitudes. We must forgive their arrogance. We must forgive their annoyances. We must forgive their quirks. You get the point. Just as God forgives your annoyances and your quirks and your weaknesses. And remember the rule of our church. When God stops forgiving you, husbands, you can stop forgiving your wives. But until he does, Christian, it's not an option for you. We must forgive our wives as Christ has forgiven us. We must pursue our wives faithfully even even in their unfaithfulness. Is there anything that points this world to Jesus more than that? Didn't Jesus say in Luke, anybody can love lovable people, right? Well, anybody can do good to those who've done good to them. Here's here's the reference. Love your enemy. Those who who wish you harm. There's not a better picture in this world than when our spouse has been unfaithful unfaithful to us, we forgive them. Why would you do that? Because there's been nobody on this planet more unfaithful to God than me. And he still faithfully pursues me and forgives me. God's love endures. It's patient. So must ours be. Second point is this. Sacrificial love looks like generosity. God's love is giving. Men, question, has God been generous to you through his love? In John chapter 3, verse 16, you know this verse. For this is how God loved the world. He gave. God showed his love by giving us something of great value. In Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Again, his love is given through a gift. Through Jesus, James 1, verse 17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, the Father. Anything in your life that is good, it's from God. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, says this, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Next verse, 25. The generous will, the generous will prosper those refresh others will themselves be refreshed we have a saying around here blessed people bless people right men every gift of generosity we have received has come from our heavenly father and this is the ultimate pay it forward if you will so how do we show generosity towards our wives Can I give you some practical stuff just real quick so we can say it was a practical message too? Here's some practical ways that we can be generous. Number one, through gifts. (laughs) Doesn't get more practical than that. How about buying your wife stuff, not because you've made them mad? How about you, you, you give something to your wife just because? How about a thinking of you gift? How about a you are my wife and you're awesome gift? Yeah, you can, give them your, you can give them a gift. You can give them time as a gift. You can be generous 
with your time towards your spouse. Take time to pray for your spouse. Take time to pray with your spouse. Take time to text or write a note to your spouse. Maybe take time just to sit and listen. Went to a conference yesterday and it was all about communication, how to, how to speak clearly and how to listen clearly. And so we went to lunch afterwards and we began to unpack everything we learned yesterday. And a few of the things is, hey, we're going to take time for one another. We're going to do daily check-ins just to see how we're doing uh, emotionally and everything else. We're going, to do week, we're going to do a weekly date. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It's just a time for us to come together and communicate. And we're going to do uh, weekly check-ins with our budgets and our schedules and everything else just to make sure we're on the same page. One of the things I uh, shared with her at lunch yesterday is... Uh, it's, it's weird how many times I get frustrated with my wife because I have an expectation of her that I never verbalize. It's just an expectation here. And then when she doesn't meet that expectation, there's like a little bit of friction. So I've got to learn how to communicate. I, I communicate a lot with myself. And I love because I always win every argument in my head, right? Like you have never won an argument against me in my head. And I'm brilliant, really. I have some of my best uh, speeches in the shower or just when I'm hanging out by myself, right? But I've got to learn to communicate that. Oh, I didn't say that out loud? Yeah, I need to learn to say things out loud. And so I've got to take time to do that. Another way, way we can be generous is with our words, words of encouragement, words of affirmation. Just a few weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 3, where Jesus was baptized. And as he's coming out of the water and the dove is falling, what does God say? His Father from heaven says, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased and my point is this, if Jesus needed to be affirmed by his heavenly Father, your spouse needs to be affirmed. When's the last time we just took a moment to say, I am so pleased with you because, fill in the blank, you're my wife, you're awesome, you're a servant, you're beautiful. Or let me give you some wisdom. Maybe just ask her how, how you could bless her today. Maybe she doesn't want any of those three things. Like, I don't want more talk. I don't want gifts. Just maybe say, how can I bless you today? What can I give you today? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and then we'll move on to the third one. I love this text in the context of marriage. The generous will prosper. No, 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 no. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm sorry. Yep, you're good. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I love this. Look at the next verse. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. And as I read that this week, I'm thinking, that's the goal. May we be so generous towards our wives' husbands that it leads them to worship God. Here's the third one, and then I'm done. Sacrificial love looks like leadership. Specifically here, spiritual Leadership. Question, husbands. Has Jesus led you to repentance and regeneration? Has 
Jesus, by his spirit, pulled back the veil, opened your eyes to see your sin and your need of a Savior. I don't want us to miss this in Ephesians 5. Verse 25, he, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, but don't miss verse 26. For he, make, he makes her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of what? Of God's word. Men, may we lead our wives to holiness and godliness by the washing of the word of God, which means we must lead to the word and we must walk with our wives through the word. I believe the husbands are the God-ordained family priest called to lead in word and deed, to display and declare the gospel and to constantly lead your wife and to remind your wife of their need for Jesus as you are constantly reminded of your own need for Jesus. And if I could just have a moment of permission to just be a little frank here. I believe this is Journey's weakest. I believe it's Journey's biggest weakness. We have too many spiritually weak men that have given up the responsibility to spiritually lead the family to another. For a lot of our marriages, this has become the burden of the wife in the relationship. And this should not be. We have good men. We have fun men. We have hardworking men. We have men that will get down in a ditch and serve but God is calling you to more than just that. Husbands, God wants you to spiritually lead your wife. And if you're not, you are in rebellion and disobedience to God. We're thankful for our Ladies, I was just talking to somebody before church all, all my life. If it, if it wasn't for the women in our church that served from the time I can remember, then there would be a lot of areas in the church where there wasn't any lead, no leaders, no servants, because the men won't step up. And I want you to know this is said in love. I love, I love the men of this church. And I'm for you, and I am still, I'm with you in trying to figure out what it looks like to even lead. But this is not up for debate here. If you want to argue, you will lose. And we have not been stern enough here. We've let, we've let our men, men who call Journey home, if, you, if this isn't your home, you're off the hook here. But if this is home, we've let too many men off the hook. We've let them drop the ball in being the spiritual leader that God's called them to be. Spiritual leadership in the home is on us, men. And it starts with us vowing to love our, our wives as Christ has loved the church. We're not Christ. Right? Don't try to be Jesus in your home. You're, you will fail miserably. We need Christ. 
We follow Christ. Then we lead others to Christ. We are reflections of Christ. We are ambassadors to Christ. We are God's appeal to our wives. And wives, you are God's appeal to your husband. But we'll save that for next week. And listen, I, I'll, I'll lay in this plane. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I hope this is the best Valentine's Day ever. I hope you get cards. I hope you get flowers. I hope you get chocolate. I hope you get lunch. I hope you get snuggle time. I hope you get whatever you desire. But guys, what our wives need most. Men, what our wives want most is sacrificial, Christ-centered love. And so let me just give you a next step of what to do, how to respond to the sermon. It's rejoicing or repenting, and, and if you're like me, probably a little bit of both. But there's a question, and this is, I just want to take a moment, and here's what it says, how can I love my wife more like Jesus today? And we're just going to have a moment of silence. This isn't a chance for you ladies to whisper in the ears. This is a moment for the Spirit of God to whisper in the heart. Husbands, here or online, how can you love your wife more like Jesus Can I end with this meme? My brother-in-law posted it at about 11 o'clock last night. I go, yep, that's, that's how I'm going to finish my sermon. I just want to put it on the screen. I think this is a good way for us to finish our time. Here's the meme. Love your wife like there's no tomorrow. And if tomorrow comes, love her even more. Let's pray.